Hello, and welcome to Impacting the Classroom from Teachstone. If you are new to the podcast, we talk about policies, research, and challenges that are impacting early childhood classrooms. I'm your host, Marnetta Larimer. Today, we have a very special bonus episode to celebrate the launch of season three. Woo-woo. Yes. Today, we come to you live from Miami at Teachstone's Interact Conference. We are surrounded by a very special crowd of educators and leaders from the ECE field. So what's impacting the classroom? In short, there's a lot going on. The workforce is still reeling from COVID, and schools are struggling to recruit new teachers and retain their current team. The frequent turnover means that it's hard to keep both morale up and also ensure that your team has the background and training that they need to best support children. So let's talk today about adult-adult interactions and how we can support the workforce. So joining me today are Matt Owens and Vicki Kittner-Duffy. Matt, you want to introduce yourself for the group? Yeah, happily. Uh, my name's Matt Owens. Uh, I live in Memphis, Tennessee. I've been with Teachstone for a little over six years. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk after. <laughs> um, I got into education as an eighth grade writing teacher um, down in Hickory Hill um, and then came to Teachstone when my um, partner and I moved to Virginia. I was on the uh, content development team. I was an instructional designer. I would go on to lead that team, and now I support with some of our cross-departmental efforts. Wonderful. Welcome, Matt. Vicki? Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Okay, I can talk. Um, hi, I'm Vicki Kittner-Duffy. I am actually also in Memphis. Um, so we're, we're She expects the same applause. Yeah. <laughs> go, Grizz. Hope the playoffs are going well. Um, so I am a senior research and evaluation specialist, been with Teachstone for 11 years and using the class, um, I think, since its inception, basically, in research. Um, and so right now working a lot on the second edition work and different pilot projects. So. Wonderful. Welcome, both of you. So as you've ascertained, these are some of my co-workers here at Teachstone. So we're going to have a very internal conversation, really, about these adult, adult interactions and what it means to us. So um, you gave us a little bit of some background into your education. Um, tell me about how that drives your work, those experiences. Who would like to start? <laughs> We're sharing a mic for those listening. So there's and fighting be... <laughs> over who's going to go. <laughs> um, so I'll talk about the moment when I left the classroom. I had applied to work at, if any of you are from Charlottesville, Buford Middle School or Teachstone, or I had applied to both. And I wanted to work at Buford, but they just cut back to me. <laughs> after I had already accepted at Teachstone. Um, so it was really surreal to leave the classroom, not having really expected to just move with my partner. And so now I'm so far removed, or at least that was my perspective at the time that I had to you know, build this. I was doing online learning at the time, so the little modules in my Teachstone. And it was you know, kind of interesting to learn about class at that moment because it also led me to want to be back in the classroom to use some of the stuff I was learning about uh, emotional support in particular, which was not a huge component of my teacher training. It, it was there, but it was not so well articulated um, as it is in class. So nowadays, I'm, I'm still you know, removed from that, but I, I do really believe in not necessarily trickle down economics, but trickle down <laughs> culture and, and like the ways in which we interact with one another in our workplaces affects how then those who we interact with are positioned 
to interact with people in their circles. Um, so I, I think it's, um, that, that is the lens that I most often take, whether I'm facilitating a meeting or just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a colleague. I find the class framework really useful in asking myself reflective questions. The most helpful, I think, is how can I become more aware of my teammates' um, emotional and work-related needs? Because then I can better position myself in this relationship to be a support and um, I'll be able to ask better questions and I'll be able to, um, you know, kind of moderate. Like we all have advice that we want to give people that's our default. And so I kind of moderate that impulse and try to be supportive of the person I'm actually talking to rather than like, I don't know, I read a lot of stuff. So I'd be like, oh, I read this thing and it's generic advice. And so um, I think a lot about teacher sensitivity primarily as the, the starting point for thinking about adult-adult interactions. So I confess that I don't remember the question. <laughs> That's okay. We're actually, we could just ask okay. you another one. Great. <laughs> Matt gave us a very wonderful, lots of things that you said um, stuck out to me, right? When you were talking like about trickle down, um, my pen wasn't working, so I don't remember what that word was. <laughs> um, but also just with your team or members and those emotional needs and how that mirrors, right? That parallel process. Um, of class, and that's kind of what we're talking about. These interactions aren't just, you know, for adult-child interactions. It plays out in the same way amongst ourselves, right? So, Vicky, my question to you would be, why is that? Why interactions? I mean, so I'm going to try not to get super theoretical. <laughs> um, Thank you. And, and uh, but if I'm assuming that most of you have heard of Bronfenbrenner. Uh, okay, great. Uh, maybe not. Okay, thank you, Matt. Um, so he is a human develop or was a human development theorist, and essentially, right, understanding that the way that people develop is that they're sort of in the middle and of an ecosystem, and there's various layers of that ecosystem from your most immediate to, you know, the bigger world. But that all of those ecosystems and all of the people in them and the policies in them and the materials in them and the in nature itself, right, we're inter it's just we're developing through these constant interactions. Like interactions are just a part of being human. You look at Bridget's list from earlier, right, and the, um, all the things that the AI can't do are all of those like human pieces. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think that's... That's always been for me. So I guess I, I do remember it was like, why did you mm -hmm. do the things that you do? Um, and so for me, I taught preschool and um, I really loved it, but I was not in a super supportive place. Um, and I did know I went into teaching preschool knowing that I was um, saving up for grad school and that that was my eventual goal. And so then when I got to when I got to grad school, you know, I think that experience of teaching, I was like, it's there's so much about the teacher. And then there's also so much about how the teacher is supported and prepared. And so that really drove me into like most of my work has been around teacher development, professional development, work environments, well-being, all of those sorts of pieces. Um, did I answer your question? Whatever you say is perfect. Yes, there is no expectation um, to what to say. Um, so you said you your work was around you know, teachers feeling supported and prepared. How does that mirror itself in adult 
adult interactions, right? So how do you have that saying um, approach when interacting with your coworkers? Or like, what does I that mean, look like? I mean, hello, oh, there we go. Um, I think it was a lot of what Matt said of like trying to use the same sorts of things um, in terms of getting to know who they are personally, like being able to um, have ground in those relationships. Um, but actually, so I was just reading something last night of, um, you know, I think we kind of all get to the, those of us who've been educators or coaches for a long time, right? I think it's, that's one of the first things we always hear of like the relationships are key. So we know that, but I do think there's something about like, what do those relationships actually look like? How do you build the relationships or how do you build a relationship with a person that you don't, you know, sometimes it's easier of like, I have a lot in common with this person versus not somebody else. And so this um, study was looking at just like that, actually starting to code some of the coaching conversations and thinking about like what kinds of behaviors they were seeing. And so some of it was, you know, the things that we already know in terms of co-constructing knowledge is really important and, and that it's not the coach just telling the teacher. But there were things that I hadn't really thought of before and two stood out to me. One was the coach being vulnerable and like being able to say, I don't know, or the, you know, like I've so, I struggled with this in the classroom too. Um, and so I think that that's one of the things that is um, potentially really key of, of like, if you can't be vulnerable, then it's just, it's so much harder to have that genuine relationship that's going to lead to whatever that next step is. And the other thing that I um, actually hit me was that like have a, like a conflict resolution kind of plan. Like there's going to be conflict. I think mm -hmm. so often like we're, we're like, oh no, we can't, you know, we disagree on this thing and that's not good. And no, like conflict is okay. <laughs> um, it's how we handle it and how we making sure that we do it respectfully, but that, you know, I feel like that's something that we don't talk about enough of like, how do we actually handle these conflicts have we as adults actually learned these con conflict resolution skills um, that we're trying to teach children and that we're trying to put into the classroom? And so I think that's uh, those two, anyway, I guess it's just those two things stood out to me. Can I just build on that? Absolutely, I saw you writing, I knew it was coming. Yeah, so I have something about vulnerability, but just this notion of conflict resolution um, and what makes it difficult to have maybe the interactions that we feel are easier in our family or in our friends, sometimes in the workplace, can be power dynamics. So when I was first in a position to, to be a manager, it was kind of uncomfortable and roles were not clear. And uh, there was a charter management organization that had one idea of what I should be doing and my principal had a different. And I was really poorly equipped to navigate that. And it led to um, some just a lot of anxiety on my part and there's a session here that's some I think it's called what we we enact what we embody um, later this week and just from that title I was like oh yeah I was embodying a lot of anxiety about my place because I was managing people who had formerly been my peers um, and so I think that the ability to be vulnerable within a place of like and I'm very clear in like how I'm supposed to relate to you. So like, yes, I'm going to be vulnerable that I don't know this, but I'm here to be a support and here are the ways in which I'm going to support you. And, and here's what's expected of you in those cases where someone might 
not be clear on the expectation or might be falling short. So I think there's like a really interesting balance to be able to carry both vulnerability and still hold people to high expectations and hold yourself to the, the expectation for your, your given role in a relationship. And then with conflict resolution or, or just even notice to go back to teacher sensitivity, I think noticing tensions earlier has been one of my like go-tos in my like relationship with adults and in the classroom, frankly. But I think little pulse checks, however you can do it with your teams, informal check-ins to like a weekly survey, anything you do can do to give people an opportunity to voice feedback or tension regularly normalizes those conversations. So when I was leading a team at Teachstone, we did something every Wednesday where we would we had a set of agreements on how we wanted to interact with one another and we would review like, how are we doing? And mostly people would say like, I fell short this week, but it was also a space to say like, when this happened, I felt like we weren't holding up this agreement. What can we do better? Um, so it would result in really good conversation. And I think having that be a routine helps people like me who are super conflict averse just basically give, this is an open invitation. We do it every week. I know not everything's going to surface here because some things might feel more private or personal. Mm -hmm. uh, so you need other channels also. But it, it let me position myself pretty vulnerably to say in front of the whole team, like anything that's going wrong, you can talk about it here. In fact, I expect you to. So when people would never say anything negative, I would actually follow up with them or their manager and say, it's not possible your experience is perfect. So you're actually leaving something on the table when you don't share that feedback with us. And you're kind of like holding back a part of you that we want to experience. And so you have to be careful because people, <laughs> you know, there's power dynamics and there people are. might be shy or whatever. But over time, I always try to encourage more people, the quieter folks, to actually participate. But there is something that happens before then, right? Because you can put out all the surveys you want, but unless there's this trust that's been built, right, and, you know, they feel as if you care about them and what they have to say, like, I'm, I either will or will not answer, or I will or will not be honest when I answer, right? And so, you know, there's that thing that happens before that can even come out that really impacts how effective that would be. And that's really what we're here you know, to talk about. It's just, you know, how those interactions play out in so many different ways. Vicki, you wanted to say something? Yes, but I forgot it already. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just gonna forget things. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so, um, to piggyback on what you were saying, Matt, you know, and you kind of went into this system building, right? What would you, you know, when you're thinking about like the big challenges that education is facing right now, um, how do you see this? Like, how would you help them to implement and start to recognize how to set these types of systems up in their organizations or their systems to where they can have the type of outcomes that they want, right? Which are happy people who feel comfortable, welcome, right? Supported um, in their workplace. And which will also help with retention, right? You can answer, Vicki. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Did you want to? Okay. Uh, um, so a couple of things I'm going to try uh, hard to remember. So this comes from a non-academic essay that I read recently, but essentially was talking about how like removing value from people is actually a form of emotional violence. And, um, and so I think in order to like have that 
trust. Like, I don't know, I can, I'll just speak from personal experience, right? Of like, I think it has to be that I know that you value me as a person, right? And again, it doesn't mean we always agree, but it's that you're like, oh, you bring something to the table too, and you have worth in who you are, even though you're going to forget everything, what, you know, like you're going to have your faults, but you still have value. Um, so that was, that was one piece of that. But I think, so I think it's actually just like starting to communicate those things. Um, and I'm going to stop there for yeah, I think communicating them and then building experiences over time consistently that demonstrate that for people. So the way that you build trust in in a, in a room of people who are, you're asking to give you feedback is you show them that you've integrated feedback previously. Not unanimous, like not no matter what, you are thoughtful in how you integrate that feedback. And when you don't, you provide, you know, rationale. Yeah. And... and um, and you're able to say like, and I was actually wrong about this or, you know, so you, you demonstrate it through your actions and that should affect, you know, their actual experience of being an educator in your school or whatever the, the relationship is. And I think I don't have a ton of advice for system building, just like I, I, it's not something I've personally directly been involved with. But the questions I would be asking myself are how aware are the people who ha are positioned to have these meaningful relationships with educators of those educators' emotional and work-related needs? Do they have the capacity? Like, what am I asking? Let's, let's say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a step above individual programs. I'm, I'm at a network position or a district position. Is there anything within my control to better position those people who can have those direct relationships to set up systems to create the kinds of culture that would allow those educators to have their emotional need. Like someone in that building knows where they're at. And someone in that building knows, you know, how many years of experience they have with a given curriculum if you're shifting. You know, little things like that, that at the network level might show up as a number of 20% of the educators have experience with this curriculum already that we're shifting to. Those 20 have an opportunity to be positioned as leaders, you know. Um, and then the other 80%, that's a very different year than the year where they used a curriculum they were more familiar with. So just being attentive to the additional cognitive load and emotional burden of, you know, I'm, I'm now back in a position as a learner when maybe for five years I did something a certain way. So I, I just use that as a quick example, but there's all different kinds of sensitivities that should exist in the system and figuring out how to make sure that there's a human that is connected to that educator somewhere in their week, like once a week would be my like standard <laughs> that they're, and that's like from the management literature, which I was very surprised. So you, I already told you all, I came from the Teachstone, I'm sorry, I came from the classroom to Teachstone and I'd never done anything other than work in a school so I was trying to understand, like, how do organizations work? Yeah. Like, so I read a lot of business literature, and I was amazed at how much overlap there was in the management literature to class in mm -hmm. that, like, emotionally supportive relationships in the workplace support outcomes across the board, basically. Um, 
So I think I lost my train of thought, but I think I would make sure that <laughs> educators are getting that, um, even if you're not positioned to provide that to them. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, so many key things there. And I think what resonated with me the most, like I was scribbling, right? Like it's that human component. They're people first. They they have tasks and we are always gonna have work, but I mean, they're people, not just these bodies filling spaces, <laughs> right? And so if I feel like I'm just a number or or a spot, right? There's no connection there. There's no Well, I feel like what Matt sorry, what Matt said um, that struck me is like knowing knowing who those people are in terms of what resources they bring. And so that's how, another way that you're not just a number mm -hmm. or some cog in the system of like, no, I actually, I have abilities. I have knowledge. I can share those things. I have, um, you know, whatever that happens to be. And so um, I'm going to, from the family literature, there's a, there's a, um, a theory that I think is called family stress response theory, but essentially you can almost think of it as like a little seesaw and the family's in the middle and there's resources on one side and stresses on another. And right, we want to, in order to be functioning, we need to have the resources higher than the stress. Mm -hmm. And so we know that this is a crazy high <laughs> stressful time Um in the world in general, but especially like in these different childcare crises. And so, you know, being able, and so I, you know, like, well, yes, one of those resources should be money and we should fund things more. <laughs> um, I'm just going to acknowledge that. Um, but you know, in the places where we can't do that, are there other ways that then again, you can kind of communicate that value and say, Hey, I know you have this ability or even like, the person who is like Marnetta, who can like get people's energy going and like get out, you know, like let's have a little bit of a dance party before our meeting so I, that we're actually in a better mood. I don't know if they all know this. They don't know. <laughs> I don't know they know about a dance party. I just um, <laughs> some might. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, this emotional support, right? And that is the base. Like even when we're talking about class, without that emotional support and that feeling of comfort and being able to take risks, right? We're talking about resources. It, it really, the other pieces don't fall in, right? Like, so yes, I can recognize what they're able to do, but if they don't trust me, right? I'm not gonna be able to utilize those resources, those, you know, that human capital in a way <laughs> that will be effective through, when you think about the other domains of like classroom, you know, organization and like instructional support. So even in adult, adult interactions, that emotional, base is like integral to any future successes. Um, so that being said, we talked a lot about emotional support and what those interactions in adult adults, you know, um, relationships look like. What would it look like with the other domains of class? I think, um, so I'm, I, I assume most people in the room are managers just based on the, the pie chart. Can just by show of hands, do you manage staff? Okay, it's a decent mix. I think that I've had experience of managing people that have had my same job previously and people that do things that I have no specialty in. And I think that in both cases, I think about, you know, Vicky was one <laughs> of those people and I do not know how to do research. <laughs> um, I think, in both cases, there's a risk in the instructional support 
domain, again, of getting a little too fixated on uh, advice giving or uh, things mm -hmm. of that nature. So in, in, in the one hand where I was managing instructional designers, I had done exactly what they were tasked to do. Um, and, and then for many people, they were former educators coaching educators. Um, or former program directors managing program directors. And then in the other case, you have a whole bank of um, like discipline-specific knowledge that that person has not had the opportunity to learn that you want to like, oh, let me share this way of thinking about that problem within your discipline from mine, which can have some value. But uh, much like I anchor on teacher sensitivity in emotional support, I anchor on quality of feedback in mm -hmm. instructional support. And wait to respond until I understand where they're at and learn, like lead with curiosity. And so that is the way in which I kind of, which in effect you are asking a lot of questions that you might sort into concept development. Mm -hmm. But the, my goal is always to better understand like where is the barrier and more often than not, the person you're talking to identifies it because of the questions you're asking. So, I mean, that, that's how I would talk about instructional support. I think that there maybe is a case for language modeling if you have, you know, you just introduced a, a research framework mm -hmm. or things of that nature that can be really enriching. Um, but I s always want to start from a place of trying to cultivate a better awareness of like where to scaffold, what thinking to prompt. Um, yeah. Yeah. And being curious about, um, I, you know, wondering and being curious about also lends itself to that, you know, emotional support. Right. So it's also strengthening that. Right. Like, <laughs> um, so it's all just interconnected mm -hmm. in that That's way. That's what I was, I was, I don't know why I can't, oh, there we go. Um, I was thinking about that a lot last night of this, like, uh, without going too much into it, um, I'm having to advocate for my daughter within the district um, right now for various reasons. But um, I had to meet with a district employee about this particular thing. And my husband was like, I, I was like, I'm going to have all these studies. I'm going to ask all these questions about, like, why do they do it this way? And, did, you know, and he's like, all right, slow down. <laughs> like, I know you're, this means a lot to you, but can you take a breath and come in with curiosity instead of antagonism, <laughs> right? And how, like, I, that I think just, I guess, a couple of threads. Um, one of, like, okay, we have this relationship. That's great. But if we're just friends, well, I shouldn't say just friends. If we're friends, wonderful. But that's not necessarily going to improve the work. It's actually then this next step of the curiosity and the reflection and then those sorts of pieces. But I think it's something about just like when it's about that curiosity, it starts to take down the barriers or the walls in those interactions and, and to be able to say, hey, I actually, I just don't, you know, can the, I think Matt actually used to always do this whenever I'd put together like a research plan and he's like, I don't know what that term is. <laughs> Can you please explain it to me? Like, I'm a five-year-old, and I'm like, oh, okay. But actually, that would make my work so much better because I would always go in with assuming that everybody knows what I'm talking about, and they don't <laughs> because they ha don't have that, that language or that jargon, right? It's not that they can't understand it. It's just they haven't learned those terms. Um, and so being able to, like, have that curiosity and, and to break things down and say, like, okay, well, what else... Can you ask how else could you communicate this? Like, I think um, was always really powerful in my work. That's beautiful. So what would it look like to invest in interactions? 
pay teachers. <laughs> pay them well. Pay them well, I should pay say. Pay them well. Pay them a lot of money. Yes, absolutely. Matt? Sorry, that's not helpful. <laughs> Yeah. I, have, I have no money to pay them, but you're not Oprah either. I'm not. Sorry. I think um, I'll talk about. So you think talking about money, you talk about time too, and I think that it, it's it's really difficult. And and so the generalized, the only generalizable thing I could say is look really closely at your existing meeting cadence. When are you bringing everyone together? and be ex especially intentional about the ways in which educators are gonna experience that time. I know that's hugely general, but I feel like that's the only thing um, I, can, I can think to say. And then maybe there's opportunity for additional interaction. Maybe there's opportunity to position people in that building to have more one-on-one -on -one interactions by getting creative with your scheduling. And you know the time you have with your staff, with your educators is, incredibly valuable and we shouldn't just expand it you know that they should have lives outside of that workplace so yeah. being incredibly intentional and proactive with how you lay out their experience looking for empty spots where while we're not going to have been together for this period of time or the last three times you brought everyone together we had to do this blank that was just by necessity you know not that interactive right. i think mapping it um and, and then that's at the scale of scheduling across months but also within a session just draw a line down the center of a piece of paper and look at on the left hand side facilitator actions on the right hand side educator actions and just see you know is it all on the left hand side and it's a sit and get or are you intentionally, and it's okay to start there, but then think about your goals and think about how you can um, push more of the planning onto what you're gonna expect from the people in the room. Because I think that, and that, that gets into classroom organization. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that is the opportunity you already have to cultivate interaction. Yeah. Wonderful, thank you so much. So we're coming to the end of our time, so I have one last question. Um, can you tell us why you're hopeful or optimistic about the future of education? We can't pause too long, Vicki, that's <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> um, I, what makes me hopeful uh, is events like this, people coming to this, people listening to this podcast. So I think the name of this session was What's Going Well. Um, and my pithy thought was like, <laughs> you, what you are doing is what's going well. Like the choice to focus on interactions, the choice to care about educators, to care about the experience that children are having day in, day out, and to work in that tension that Bridget was just talking about. For those listening to the podcast, I'm alluding to a keynote that came right before this. Um, and she talked about the tension between each and every. And at least at Teachstone, you know, I'm not attuned to everything going on in education or not even close, but there is this tension arising in a really healthy way as we try to build tools and supports and partnerships to make sure that um, we're able to efficiently um, work towards continuous improvement of interactions that children experience and make sure that as we do that, um, there isn't a single community educator, the child who's not thought of, represented in our work, for whom our work isn't applicable. And a lot of that is lives in relationships, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, so 
I'm most hopeful about the relationships that I, that I see represented in the room, represented by um, the people that choose to interact with Teachstone and just, um, yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautifully said. Um, I think for me, I've been, it is rooted in some of my personal experience, again, of like trying to um, get more into education advocacy work. Um, and I, you know, just as I learn, one, I've learned a lot about just a really rich history of teachers organizing since a long time, <laughs> um, uh, but that like since education has been around, that teachers have been gathering together. I mean, sort of what you're saying, Matt, of like they come and they know what things they need and they, they try to advocate for those. Um, and so like one example um, that I was reading about, oh, sorry, I keep turning my head, um, was in DC, where under 3DC, so it was parents, teachers, administrators, you know, um, all of these different partnerships came together and got a $75 million um, increase for paying teachers. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think the the more that we can start to do those things and say, hey, you care about this, I care about this, we know that this is important. We know, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to harp on it and y'all know it. Um, we know that teachers who get paid better, they, are, they have better child outcomes. They have better interactions in the classroom. They have reduced stress. They have reduced depression and anxiety. Like we, we know that when you have... Um, Again, when you have, there's regard and you have teacher autonomy in the classroom or coach autonomy or who, whatever, right? We know that these outcomes are better um, for adults as well as children. And so when we can start to come together and be like, hey, these things are really important. And how can we start to talk to policymakers about creating this change? And so I think that's something that I'm just becoming really personally um, hopeful for and trying to get into more. So. Yeah, when you were speaking, all I could think was <laughs> a triangle came in my head. And I was thinking Maslow, right? Like that basic need, you know, money. <laughs> like it's hard for me to be super effective when that's this barrier, you know, to my, my well-being. And so to know that money <laughs> could take that off the table and help me to tend to um, things, you know, in a better way, like it just sounds sad really <laughs> you know what I mean like but um that's all I could think of this barrier hierarchy your needs that's it everyone thank you so much for joining us here in Miami thank you guys for joining us and thanks for listening if you aren't here in Florida we hope you'll join us at our next class summit you can find today's episode and transcript on our website teachstone.com slash podcast and as always behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions Let's build that culture together. Thank you so much. We're gonna take this opportunity, since you're with us, are there any questions that you have for our panel today? Yeah, I have one. Yes. So how do you get the, your teachers or your staff or whoever it is that you want to build those support if they're not willing? Like that's where I'm really struggling. Like I, just, I can't pull it out of the dock. So you said they're not willing. What does that look like? What are you noticing? They're just like blank. Not all of them. So there are, I, I'm going to say maybe 
75% that are willing, you know, when I say, what, how can I support you? What, let's find a strength that we can build on. They will feed that back to me. But there's the other 25% that, you know, are blank. Blank in terms of like quiet when you ask the question? Yes. Okay. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, all I can think of is just. I don't know what's happening. Do you, do you, I wonder if it might just be burnout. I don't know how. Um, yes. Okay. I'm yeah. like, I'm not wrong. In so this, I, right? have, I mean, not that you're burning them out. I don't mean it to no, sound no, that no. way, but just like, I, I, again, just personally, right. When at the point when I'm burnout, if people start asking me things, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I cannot, I like physically cannot think at this moment. <laughs> but I also, I would probably, there's several things I'd probably um, say. I would probably say, you know, is my environment classy? <laughs> right? Because it really starts from the top, right? And so I have to model that. And then you have to think about where they are in their journey and that everybody learns and are on different trajectories, right? And so the same approach isn't going to work for everyone. And so it just might be identifying where they are so that your approach can be different to take them through to, you know, catch up with the others. And so I think you just need to individualize like, all the things, right? And just really evaluate where they are because it, it may be burnout, but it just might be that the approach that you're using isn't for them. I think that's it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's burnout. Um, I think it is individualizing the approach. I don't think they're at that level where the other, where everyone else is, where they're like, yes, help me. Yep, yep. You know, support me. Thank you. So we just need to do it different, right? Yeah. And just figure out what that different is. And it starts with asking them, right? If you have that relationship with them, hey, I've been trying to X, Y, Z with you, and I've hit a wall, and how can I support you? What does that, what does me supporting you look like? Okay. And if you're not getting... If you're also not getting response to that question, like, like, and you've tried that, I think providing choice, mm -hmm. and and then it allows you, it's this it's this dance of I'm going to give you some choices, but you do not have a choice to not be in a relationship with me. You can't like truly like that's what having a boss is, and that's what having a coach is, yes. and and I know that it takes time and energy and re real relationships require vulnerability mm -hmm. so people have a good reason to sometimes not want more relationships to not want support because it it takes something before it gives something and so to you you can acknowledge that and, and create you know you're accountable to creating the conditions where it's reasonable to expect them to engage in that right but if you're already doing that it is also okay to say like you kind of have, to, we're going to have a relationship, you know, one way or the other. Here's a few different ways that could look. If you have a fourth option, I'm willing to talk through and like do that. But we have to work together. And in order for that to happen, you have to share, like I learned it talking to shy eighth graders. Like you got to give me something. Yeah. Um, and, and it applies to adults too that are busy and maybe have been burnt by prior relationships and so, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would piggyback on that, too. I think I try to always self-reflect. I always think th things are my fault. So I'm just like, mm, what did I do that might have bridged this trust, you know, or whatever? Like, right. And so I'm always introspective and like thinking about my role in it or whatever. But I do agree with him. Choice. Choice makes it seem like I'm driving right. instead of you driving. Right. And so I do think if you give them that 
choice it might ease up on that tension too because then they're able to take control on their own terms even though they don't really write it's pretend choice but it's still choice <laughs> right that's how it works yes any other questions I'll just add, I think it's a real choice, but it's, you don't get to choose not to be in this relationship. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. But it's like, it, we don't do fake choices. That degrades yeah. relationships, right? It should be a real difference based on what they choose, but they don't get to choose not to be in a supportive relationship. Or not to participate. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm seeing yeah. a little bit. Like, even in like team bonding activities, you know, fun. Like, let's all go play together. Know. How are their relationships with the other coworkers? I have so many questions, yeah. right? Because, I mean, are you privy to all the things that are happening, right? Do you have, do you have a person who keeps you <laughs> grounded in the stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you need to go to that person who's got the stuff, <laughs> who can give you, you know, um, the ins and outs. Because, you know, I would look at their relationship with their coworkers, like, because that's, that's the only way that's going to work. So observing... So can I just ask a, a side question? So, because you all are employees of Teach Stone. So when you do something like that, a team building fun thing, what is the participation percentage? Would you say it's 100%? Would you say 80%? <laughs> Um, yeah, mine's no. 100%. <laughs> how do you get that? So how do you get that? Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know if you've ever met me. Hi, my name's Marnetta. <laughs> no, so, you know, I spend, and I wish, you know, I had this conversation with one of my um, co-managers who used to work, uh, like, under me. She was on my team, and Mac had asked me a question, actually. And so I answered it, but then I said, ask her that question. And she basically said the same thing, right? So I invest a lot of time. I have a big team. I, I have probably the largest team as an individual at the company. But I spend a lot of time getting to know my people and remembering things and circling back, right? I just sent a text earlier, I'm like, hey, how are you feeling? Because, you know, they were sick yesterday, how you, right? Like, it, and it's just those little things, those little check. So they feel very human and we're vulnerable in, in that they share their celebrations, but they also share the other stuff or whatever. So when we get together, it's a party, right? <laughs> you know, but I also encourage them to interact with each other, right? So we're all virtual, but they, ha they have to enjoy each other. They're all wonderful individuals by themselves, but I also enjoy each other, like have lunch together, right? Like do, and even virtually, like a virtual lunch or whatever. And so I encourage them to do things also individually so they can build themselves, right? Because really, ideally, I'd love for them to all get along. It's okay if they all get along and hate me, at least they'll be doing it together. Um. So I, <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> um, so I have a related thing and then a, it's going to be slightly weird, but I think it potentially could help. So one, I think even, even play, again, takes vulnerability. And especially as adults, because we don't play as much as we should, right? Um, and so like, I think there's, so a team building thing we did at Teachstone at All Staff, we had to pretend to be blenders. Mm. I don't know. We were doing it, um, and, at and we were all like, 
okay, we're going to be blenders. But actually, then we ended up all, you know, like we felt silly at first. And then we ended up actually having a great time all laughing about how silly we were being, right? But it took that moment of like, okay, we're just all, this is weird and we're going to do it. Um, so I, I do think there's still that yeah. piece of it. But the other thing actually um, is... So it sounds weird because it actually, it's it's like 36 questions to make somebody fall in love with you or to fall in love with them or something. So it's, it is was made for romantic relationships, but um, it's essentially like starts with more icebreakery types of questions and then gets into these like deeper kinds of things. And so I, I think what's nice about that is like it's this very structured and actually like scientifically proven way to like start to build some of those relationships and get to know somebody deeper in it. And it's like that you take a couple questions each time that you meet and you both answer them and, and it really turns into this deep conversation. And so I wonder if that's like another way of like and and so then it's a little bit less like I'm being vulnerable about my classroom and I'm more I'm being, you know, like we're just having this conversation, getting to know you conversation a little more. I think it's also, um, you know, the team, I don't lead all the things. We may get together, but I'm not in charge of all the things. And so, you know, they do it. I'm just like, hey, we're getting together, but I ain't getting ready to do this. Like, y'all figure that out, right? Like, um, and just knowing what they like. So my team's very competitive. So the first thing we always open with is a crossword puzzle that they have to figure out how to do. And they get so mad because they can never get it all done before the timer runs out. And so, but they're competitive like that. So they, when I tell you, they rush to get there early because they want, they're trying to get this crossword puzzle <laughs> completed. Um, so just finding those little different things, you know, that people like, that, that just, even if it's like a moment, they're not all gonna like the same thing, but if you could represent something that intrigues, you know, people are interested in at some point in that meeting, you'll have, you know, their attention. Hope that helped. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, thanks. Well, we are officially done now. So <laughs> you guys are amazing. I'll be signing autographs. I'm not doing that. $5. No, I'm undervaluing myself. $500. No, I'm just. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of your time.